Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri as the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on. Pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and gives respect to Elders past, present and emerging. listening to the Yarra Libraries podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to bring you another of our Fitzroy Writers Festival recordings. We'll be releasing these intermittently over the next few months, so keep an ear out for anything you missed on the day. For this event, presented in partnership with the Ewing Trust and Fitzroy Legal Service, detained journalist Baruz Bachani was streamed into the Fitzroy Reading Room from Manus Island for a discussion with Sophie Lestrange, Janet Galbraith and Arnold Zabel. In 2013, Kurdish journalist Beruz Buchani was illegally detained on Manus Island. He's been there ever since. No Friend But The Mountains is his story, laboriously tapped out on a mobile phone and translated from Farsi. So now I'd like to welcome the Manager of Social Action, Policy and Law Reform at Fitzroy Legal Service, Megan Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. We're going to explore the struggles of communication uh, offshore together today. Um, so Fitzroy is a, a community legal service in, and we're just upstairs and we provide free legal services to around 4,000 people a year and we rely on around 250 volunteers at any given time. And we run a free advice clinic five nights per week that anybody is uh, able to attend. We acknowledge that we are meeting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people whose sovereign right to these lands was never ceded. We acknowledge their law, belief systems, survival and guidance and their elders past and present and emerging. We acknowledge as practitioners that the law we have inherited and work within was and remains a tool that has been used to legitimise and cloak the colonisation of this country and human rights abuses, including the dispossession, destruction of life, culture, land, law, and family and tribal connection of Aboriginal peoples without treaty or consent. The law is also a site of resistance at times, and it is in this space that we seek to focus our energy. In 2016, Fitzroy Legal Service launched a case against the now Department of Home Affairs challenging secrecy provisions in the Australian Border Force Act, which prevented workers contracted by the Australian government from speaking out about conditions in detention centres run by corporate bodies offshore and onshore. Unless now exceptions could be made out, workers who spoke of who and what they saw faced two years' imprisonment. The genesis of that particular case was long. At the time of the Tampa crisis, which is 20 years ago for the older members of the audience, government policy prohibited the release of humanising images of people arriving in Australia by boat. The systematic approach by which race and fear have been used by politicians to maintain political power has been consistent throughout my adult lifetime. And so it was two decades ago that it became clear, at least to me, that the truth was not an entitlement that the electorate could legitimately rely upon in this country. The power of direct communication images as a way to break through dehumanising government policies has been an obsession of sorts and is underpinned by some faith in the human spirit to see and feel one another's struggle when we are permitted to do so. 
that this risk at least exists is evidenced by the lengths to which governments are willing to go in order to erase and control human connection and in order to preserve power. What does this have to do with the law? Not a lot, but a little. The power of Australia's Commonwealth government is limited by the Constitution. The Constitution, though is sparse in content, does institute a democratic system of government and it has been found through successive cases in the High Court of Australia that in the absence of freedom of political communication, a democratic system of government cannot be real or functional. Underpinning this is the simple idea that where people elect representatives, they must be able to discover what is done for and in their name. It was on that basis that the challenge to the Australian Border Force Act was based. The litigants in that case were doctors for refugees. Medical practitioners believed that their professional duty to advocate for public health was at odds with the government laws and they were willing to break those laws. We thank them for their courage and time. Almost all of which was unpaid and in working on that case with us over a two-year period. The outcome was successive amendments to the law generating a series of exemptions where disclosures could be made about conditions by particular categories of health practitioners and allied workers. It has been a small contribution to the resistance against the veil of secrecy surrounding refugee policy. But we share this work to explain the depth of our acknowledgement of the work of Baruz Buchani and so many associated allies involved in the publication of this book, which has pierced the veil, so to speak, under extraordinary conditions. We honour the fight to tell the stories that need to be told so that we as a community can claim our accountability back, share our humanity and fight for change. Thank you. Our first panel member is Janet Galbraith. She's been intimately involved in, in transcribing the book with Baruz. We've also got Arnold Zabel, who's a well-renowned journalist and is also a close friend of Baruz. I'm sure we haven't got complicated uh, introductions. And uh, also sitting next to them is Sophie Lestrange, who works with us at Fitzroy Legal Service and is going to participate in this panel as well. Hello, Baruz. Hello. Hey. And it's good to see that the room is full. I also want to offer a mention to Sirwan and to any of the Kurdish people who are here today. Thank you very much for all your work as well. I also want to acknowledge Bernadette Ryan, who works with me on Riding Through Fences, and thank everyone for coming. So, Beruz, I thought what we might start with was to talk about the title of your book, because it's obviously very important you being Kurdish, and throughout the book, there is a lot that pertains to your Kurdish history, culture, and to what the Kurdish people are going through. And there was a review in Australia that really made me aware of how little so many people in Australia are aware of in relation to Kurdistan, which said that they couldn't understand why it was called No Friends But The Mountains. So are you able to tell us a bit about why you titled this No Friend But The Mountains and the history of that title? That the, first, I would like to say thank you for everyone. Thank you for attending this event. And second, first, uh, 
I would like to say something about the Australian story that was broadcast a few days ago. Unfortunately, that uh, program uh, re reduced my work to only a book, which is not true. So now people think that I only wrote a book and that's why I exposed this system. But it is not true. I always say that uh, my movie, Choka Plistalas, and that Arnold was mentioned in the uh, Australian story. And you know, many of the shots in the Australian story was for my movie, Choka Plistalas, the time. But it was not clear for people, for the audience. I always say that Choka plays tell us the time and the book No Friend But The Mountains are like twin. Mm. So one of them is in literary language and another one is in cinematic language. So that's why I would like to ask you that, you know, probably many of you read the book, already read the book. It will. It would be great if you watch the movie as well, Choke Up, Please Tell Us the Time. And this movie brought, uh, you know, reached to some international film festival uh, in London Film Festival, in Berlin, uh, in Glasgow, in Gothenburg, in New Zealand. And we already had a screening in Italy, in Netherlands, and in end of this year, we will have a screening in uh, Harvard University, in New York, uh, and also already we had in Egypt. So in many countries, but they didn't mention this. And uh, that's why I think people in Australia are not aware of this movie, but it is, my understanding is that it is uh, an important movie and people should watch it because I try to make a clear picture that people understand this system. And uh, re about the, regarding the title, all of my works, I feel that I have uh, the commitment to tell the tragedy in the history of Kurdistan and in history of Kurdish people. So that's why always I try to tell this story. Even when I work uh, about Manus, but uh, yeah, you can see in the book that it is, uh, you know, a mentality of a court. In the movie, I use music and uh, I try to tell this story. So for the book, I use this title because uh, I thought that it is a big opportunity for uh, me to tell this story. And uh, actually it is a like a well-known uh, slogan in Kurdistan that Kurdish people know have friends, but the mountains. The history of uh, uh, Kurdish political uh, movement 
you can't see. It is very clear that the superpowers always use the Kurdish people for their aims. And right now we can see that the Kurdish people uh, have been fighting against ISIS for at least five years. Interesting thing is that the Western people hear about ISIS about five years ago, but the Kurdish people were fighting with them seven years ago. And that time I knew ISIS. I knew ISIS. And I, but they were very weak on that time, but they were killing uh, Kurdish people and uh, the fighters were fighting with them. And when became a big uh, threaten, on that time, uh, people in Western countries became aware of this horrible uh, group, terrorist group. And just I want to say that, uh, that right now we can see that Kurdish people have been fighting against ISIS for all of people around the world, you know, and at least 11,000 people died, killed by ISIS, Kurdish people. And, but now that they defeated uh, ISIS, the superpowers are, the, you know, forgetting about Kurdish people and their political rights. Or last year, two years ago, when it was a big referendum in north of Iraq and Kurdish people, uh, 90, 93% of people say yes to independence but no one around the world support them mm. and they ignore their right. So that's why I use this uh, title for the book. And also this title is, uh, you know, we is telling a story of that whole Kurdish people, when they know have place to go, they rely on mountains mm -hmm. and mountains has a big role in uh, history of uh, Kurdistan and also has impact on our culture, uh, our music. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the Kurdish music, if you uh, study this music, is like mountains and all of uh, other, uh, you know, cultural elements. So that's why I use this uh, title, and I think it's suitable uh, for uh, Manus refugees as well. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Already I talked with uh, Arnold that about this, that when they attacked the prison camp on riot 2014, and they transferred us to soccer ground, I remember on that time, and I described this in the book. It was for a second, I was looking at the sky mm -hmm. and I told myself that where can we go? In this planet, there is a, not a place that we go. We had only a small prison, 
horrible prison and they took this place from us and we are on the soccer ground where can we go mm. i was looking at the sky so i think this uh, title is uh, first i say that the title was i forgot <laughs> yeah it was like uh, this no front but the mountains but in a different words yeah but finally we chose this title thank you can i ask arnold to speak next because Arnold, um, if you read the article in the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald recently, started talking about Mother and Dalega, and that relates very much to what you were just saying, Behrouz. So I'll just ask Arnold to speak. G'day, Behrouz. When you were out in that field, that soccer field, I think it was then that you heard this one word that came in the middle of all the chaos and the madness. This is the moment leading up to the murder of Reza Barati from the same city as you, Ilam, and you hear a word in the Faili Kurdish dialect, Dalega, mother. To me, that's probably the most powerful moment in the book, and it raises many questions, but the question I want to ask now is this. It seems to me that the feminine is very prominent in your book, and the presence of mother is there in a number of places. It's your own mother is woven into it in very poetic and powerful ways. And then there is that moment when that word, Dalega, comes from within the camp. Um, so, yes, can you talk a little bit about that, about the presence of the feminine and the presence of mother? And the, the other thing I'd say is, going back to the struggle of the Kurdish people, I think one of the most striking things is the the presence of women fighters. They're fighters too. And um, and I think that has been a, a striking reason for, for success and victory. Uh, but yes, these are yeah, this question of the feminine in Kurdish culture and the presence of the mother in the book. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I describe in the book that I feel that uh, the feeling between um, the Kurdish mother and her son or her daughter, I feel that it is very different with other cultures. And the mothers always has, uh, you know, they have a different role. But what's happened now is that in Syria, in we call it Rojava, in Rojava, the Kurdish fighters, you know, a large part of the fighters are women. And I think they are introducing a different kind of a woman concept to the world. These women are brave and they are free and they are, you know, sometimes... They are dancing when they fight. They are singing. Sometimes they, you know, they show that how they respect environment, respect nature. So it is, uh, I think, a new kind of woman that uh, in that part of Kurdistan, uh, you know, they introduce to the world. 
So that's why I think it's very important. And right now, you know, in many Western uh, universities, the researchers uh, are, uh, you know, doing research about this woman. And yeah, so this woman that they introduce is different with the woman in Western culture. They are free. But in other side, you cannot see, you know, sexual uh, elements in this concept. But in Western culture, so we can criticize, you know, this kind of woman. Mm. Yeah, because in Western culture, they use the woman for advertisement for, you know, but in uh, Rojava is different. Mm -hmm. They are free, like the Western woman, but, but in other side, yeah, they are naturally beautiful. And it's very different with the woman in Western culture. But in the book, I think, uh, you know, Dalaga is a word that is for Kalhuri accent in Kurdish. So the main accent in Kurdistan, mm. in Kurdish language is Sorani and is, uh, yeah, so there are only two accents uh, and Kermanji, Sorani and Kermanji. But this accent that Reza was, was a different uh, accent. So Dalaga, it means mother, but in other accent is different. So probably this word is quite strange for other Kurdish people as well. But yeah, we can see in a place like Manus, when you know have a place to go and rely, naturally you remember your mother and her hug, or uh, yeah, you should find somewhere to rely. And even on the ocean, we can see that uh, in, in one of the nightmares that the writer had, he said he was seeing his mother and asked this question, why my mother is here? Mm. You know, so I think that is completely natural mm. feeling that when you know have place to rely, you remember your mother. You speak also about Golshifta in the book, and Golshifta is someone who is on the boat when Beirut is coming across or the writer is coming across, and she stands up. There's a lot of chaos, and there are people who are fighting for different positions, and she stands up strongly and creates order, really. And I just thought I'd read a little bit from the book about Golshifta, and Golshifter is called Our Golshifter. Our Golshifter and her family are sitting beside the penguin's exhausted body. That woman's face is still exuberant, her appearance still beautiful, her pride still flourishing, her clothes are torn and her body smells like the other distressed people there, smelling like the sea, smelling pungent, smelling bitter. But our Golshifter remains proud. She remains captivating. Our goal shifter laughs at all this distress, laughs at all the misery, laughing with those dark, alluring eyes, those eyes flaming like small suns. 
Our goal shifter's presence within that displaced and wretched community is hard to imagine. She is the kind of person who radiates nobility, no matter what clothes she wears, no matter the situation, no matter if her life hits rock bottom, no matter what, she will leave a lasting impression on her surroundings. This is the same woman with no tolerance for the heedlessness of the terrified passengers aboard our marooned boat. The same woman trying to instate justice by rationing drops of water and individual dates. The same woman trying to moderate their distribution. When I encounter a woman such as our goal shifter, I feel proud and strong, and all the other devastated and broken faces are relegated to the margins of my consciousness. So our goal shifter remains one of the most powerful characters in the book and is also like many of the characters in the book rather than having a particular name is given a symbolic name or a moniker and Gold Shifter has a particular history within Kurdish history and culture as a strong woman. Yeah, just uh, Janet. Yeah. I would like to mention something about Gold Shifter. Sure. Australian uh, newspaper, I mean the Australian, they wrote a piece about the book, I think four or five months ago. They say that Beirut, because in a part of the book, I say something about a lady and woman that was working for immigration. And she, the writer, use that uh, term, that uh, part, to say that it's not good that Berus say, look at the woman in this way. And she criticized me, that why did I uh, describe this woman in this way? But I want to say that, you know, my understanding of woman, you can see in Golshifta, so she completely ignored a character like uh, Golshifta, and she only criticized me for only two sentences that I wrote about that immigration lady. But she was working for immigration, of course. When someone is your uh, jailer, so of course you don't feel positive. So that's why I use that part. You know, it is natural. So, you know, on that time, you don't think about this, that it is a lady or it is a man. So, but my understanding of woman is gold shifter. And the reason I use this word for this name for gold shifter is actually is not written to Kurdish culture. Mm -hmm. It's written to uh, one of the Iranian famous actor. Mm, Her name is gold shifter Farahani. So Golshifta Farahani, she left Iran and she went to, she was very uh, famous, one of the biggest actors in Iran. She left Iran and went to uh, France and she, and right now she is working with Hollywood cinema and other, you know, so she is internationally well known. And she tried to uh, show the woman in Iran that how is important that you know your right, how is important that you fight for your right, and how is important 
that you don't feel shy to show your body. And they, and sometimes he was in, uh, her, uh, her picture was on cover of the international magazine, you know, a naked picture, mm. you know, she was naked. And that's uh, many people in Iran and alongside the government were criticizing him that, and they hate her. They hate her that why you do this and why you are doing this and you are inviting our young girls to do this and to... So that's why I use this word, you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, this character yeah, remind me Golshifta, so that's why I use this word. I think um, just maybe a short little bit longer on this kind of topic Megan might want to speak to or read a little bit from. Can you hear me, Baruz? Yeah. Okay. There's a, a section I just want to read out, and um, it's for many people who use the library. It's a place where many people go who maybe don't have housing and uh, are experiencing poverty, and they have asked me to ask you about how you find the embers to keep your heart strong in the face of great suffering. I want to read one section of your book uh, and and then to ask you to speak about that. Yeah, thank you. I am a child of war. War is like a myth or an attack by a giant. War is one of quadruplets. War is born with destitution, poverty and terror. Life always means much more than war, much more than destitution, more, much more than deprivation. Life for me always emerges with, from within desolation. Life for me always emerges out of the beauties hidden within desolation and the bloodiness of desolation is laid bare for all to see. Life is exposed like an open book, exposed just like the silky smooth legs of a woman, like her long neck, like her hair, hair that is the colour of red wine. Life is like an accident. Destiny just carries on like a, a beat. The light of the world appears like a miracle, like an explosion that eventually cooled down. In reading your book, one of the questions that many people are asking is how, how are you keeping your heart alive and your creative uh, will alive in the face of um, so much pain? Uh, so do you mean uh, how could I write this? How could I be able to write a book like this inside the prison? To, to engage in the, the act of creation, there's some hope, there's some, there's some strength in that. How, how, how have you found that inside of yourself? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I always say that when you find yourself in a place like uh, Manus prison camp, you know, and when you are under a big torture, you should make decision <laughs> that what do you want? 
are you going to resist or you should kill yourself? Yeah, it is a question that many people have been struggling in Manus with. So uh, overnight, I read a part of my old writing, you know, the first uh, writings that I did in Manus um, for Janet. And we could see that on that time, how I was struggling to find a way to survive. And I think uh, creation and creating a kind of art always help uh, me to survive. And I can see, I can say that I survive through my writing and through my artwork. And it is not only about me. There are people in Manus who are musician. Uh, they are they about five or six people. So when I talk with them, they say that we survive because of music. We survive because of singing. So that's why I think creating always make. Uh, uh, a different kind of life. Creating art always helped me to, uh, you know, feel that I am above of this prison. Uh, the creating art always helped me to, you know, travel to unknown places. And important thing is that creating always helped me to keep my humanity uh, alive. I mean, not morality, I mean humanity. You know, I feel that I am a human and I'm not a number or I'm not, uh, you know, I forget about my past, that how I was. You know, people always forget that the refugees, the detainees in Manus and Noru, they are human. They have, they had family. They left them. They were in school. They went to high school. They went to university. They had job. They had a normal life. They listened to music. They dance sometimes are angry become angry, become jealous, become, uh, you know, like they are kind, sometimes are cruel. So they are human and we are human. So, but this system always try to take this identity from us that we forget that where did we come from and forget about our position, our, so that's why I think it's really hard to keep this humanity and your identity. It's very hard, but creating always helps you to keep this alive and keep many times when this system, I was in a you know, place that they were targeting me to humiliate me. I always could keep 
my identity in this way that yeah, don't forget you are a writer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that helped me a lot. And for other refugees as well, other people mm-hmm. here. So I know someone who were trying to make gardening. Some people were, you know, someone make uh, connection with nature, with uh, animals, mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. And some people were using drug, you know, mm-hmm. marijuana. So each person. Uh, find a way to survive mm. but for me it was creating this creating art mm. and of course for others is creating as well but in a different way I guess going back to your first comments about the film and how that was used but not recognised you have been creating and Behrouz for the audience Behrouz has been creating ever since he arrived I know that, and we were looking at his writing from right back to when you first arrived on Christmas Island the other night, going through all of this. And if you haven't read the rest of his work, there is academic works, there's journalistic works, there's his poetry, there's this book, and there's the really important film, Chalka, Please Tell Us the Time, which you can get on Vimeo. I was thinking as you were talking about this, that one of the things that you do in the book is you kind of, you describe things. So, for example, with Mason the Whore, who's another character in the book, you describe his resistance through theatre, through dance, through music and through his performance. But one of the things about that is that it's more than description. For me, it seems that in some ways the book is trying to create and in some ways does create a new language, a new way of seeing. Another example of that is whenever we come across the word Australian in the book, it carries so much weight and weight in a way that many times it hasn't. I know that Richard Flanagan said that in his foreword he wrote about the fact that it creates, it shows Australia is not... I don't know, the fair go, all of that sort of stuff. But I think it does a lot more than that because you actually don't buy into that um, discourse at all. You go beyond that and it's like you're creating a language through which we in Australia can see ourselves differently and understand ourselves differently and have a different way of explaining ourselves. And that is part of what's so creative about the book, but also your understanding that everybody on Manus has been forced into a place, a creative place, by being imprisoned. They are transformed and they become creative in their understandings of things. That was really a long comment, wasn't it? (laughs) But I was thinking that we might just quickly go to Sophie and... yeah, sorry. Yeah, go. I don't know. I don't understand your words, you know. That's okay. I'll tell yeah. you later. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, I should talk about curricular system. Yeah. You know, this concept that we use. That would be good. That, uh, yeah, yeah. So, that how there is a connection between uh, Manus prison system 
and the society in Australia and the structures in Australia. And we could see in New Zealand, uh, you know, attack, terror attack just a few weeks ago. And it was interesting, you know, I had this chance to watch Australian TV for the first time after, you know, years and years. On that time, yeah, I'm in Port Moresby now because they sent me here to do interview with America. So I had this chance to watch ABC and it was only ABC channel. It was interesting that they invited many people to talk about this, uh, you know, uh, terror attack. And they talk a lot for days and days and days. But nobody mentioned about Manus and Naru. Yeah, it's, you know, that really made me uh, uh, quite angry that how these people, you know, they talk about hate speech. They talk about people who established this and they are blaming them, but they ignore what's happened in Manus and Naro. The first thing, the first time Australia produce violence in Manus and Naro. They exported violence to Manus and Naro. And after six years, they produce violence and Australian citizen produce violence in New Zealand. So how can you ignore Manus and Naro? Australia is a country that for six years, they have been, you know, exiling and keeping innocent people in Manus and Nauru. And of course, and you know, this issue is one of the uh, main issue in Australia, main, uh, you know, political uh, debates in Australia. But right now, after the New Zealand attack, they forget about it. It's not the main one. But before that was the main uh, part of the uh, scare campaign. So, of course, when you do this for six years, of course, that affects on your country, on your society. And I believe many Australian citizens have been traumatized because of this policy. Mm. I know. Personally, I know many people in Australia who have been uh, traumatized. And even the staff, mm -hmm. even the staff and the guards that they were torturing us, I think they are victim of this uh, system. Why? Because they work here for two weeks, then go back to Australia for two weeks, then come back. So they are taking this violence to uh, Australia. They spreading this violence in their beds with their children, with their husband, with their wives. And they are living in Australia now. So that's why I think uh, you cannot forget about Manus and Naru and say, of course, when a country like Australia do, uh, does a such a 
you know, barbaric policy, of course, that has effect on your country, on your uh, society. So in this book, in that part that I mentioned about, you know, the buses, I said buses, buses, mm. each bus has a bus, each bus has a bus. Actually, I wanted to uh, describe this and tell this story that there is connection between Manus and Canberra, between Manus and Australian societies. And also, the curricular system that we use is a concept that allow us that we understand uh, Manus prison camp and beyond of Manus. I mean, this system, this complicated system that is torturing innocent people in this way, for understand this, you know, we should, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, this system, if we understand this system, this complicated system, and we study this system, we understand some similarity mm. between this system and the systems in Australia, the structures in Australia. And now we can see, you know, I am looking at Australia. Of course, I am not living in Australia, but I am following Australia. That uh, in the hospitals, in the educational system, you know, in the universities, uh, everywhere, you can see some similarity between uh, Manus prison camp and those structures. So in, uh, but the original one is in Manus that people lose their individuality, lose their humanity, and lose their freedom. In Australia, we can see, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think um, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, we were wanting to talk about your literary influences, but I also know that Sophie wanted to maybe read something, did you? in response to what Beruza said. Yeah. I was one of those workers who came in for a few weeks and left for a week and came back. And um, I think it's really important to reiterate what Beruza has just said is that it is an Australian system in Manus Prison. It's a system that Australia created and it's a horrible system that tries to force an identity on people and take away the identity that they, that they had before. And so... I wanted to read something about um, what from what Baruz has written that for me really highlights the strength of the Manus prison system and that curiacal system. Um, and then if we've got time, Baruz, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what I've, what I've read out. The prison dictates that the prisoners accept to some degree that they are wretched and contemptible. This is an aspect of the system designed particularly for them. An objective of the curiacal system, no one has the right to express the very human feeling of munificence. This is in contrast to the character of someone like our dignified friend, the Prime Minister. The prisoners feel a kind of masochism, a, jo a joy as a result of the humiliation. By joining in with Maysam the Whore, they belittle the Prime Minister, our noble thinker. In reality, they are acting in accordance with the curiacal system, and they are also demeaning themselves. The prisoners unconsciously identify with the shattered character of the distinguished Prime Minister, their sense of self reimagined in another. 
And my question for is, is how difficult has it been to reject the identity that the Manus prison system has tried to put onto you? Sorry, I cannot understand. I think yeah, that actually, the, um, she was reading from a place. Um, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, the problem is the microphone. Yeah. So she's asking you how difficult is it to maintain your identity um, within in the face of the Manus prison si system. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. It's very uh, good. The main question for this book is this, actually. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, we have some characters uh, in this book, like the cow. So the cow is a character that always follow the rules, and the system deliberately is saying to the detainees that you should. Be like cow, because if you be like cow, you have a better life, better condition. And, uh, you know, we have other characters, but the uh, main character, I think, is the Mesam the whole. So Mesam the whole is a character that he always you know, playing with the rules. He's playing with the rules by dancing, by uh, making fun, by, uh, you know, theater. And I think that character is uh, very important if we look at uh, him and the way that he, actually he made the system angry. Yeah, you can see that the, uh, officers inside the camp, they are angry at him, but they now have excuse to attack him because he just is playing, is uh, dancing. Mm -hmm. So it's not against rule, but he is playing with the rules. And uh, that's why I think the Mason the whole is important uh, character. And I myself, if I, my character, I don't say that I'm Mason the whole, but I am uh, in some ways, I'll always try to be like uh, Mason the whole, who is playing with the rules, mm. who doesn't follow the rules. Mm. And so I think the best way for, uh, not only in uh, Manus, in Australia as well, the best way is that you play with the, uh, you know, rules and with the structures. You be above the structures. Uh, I have this experience. When I was in Iran, I was in university. I always was the most laziest student in the <laughs> university. And sometimes, I was the most, uh, you know, smart student in the university. So I just, you know, anytime I wanted, uh, yeah, I could play with the structure, I mean, the university. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Mason the whole is a very good model for mm -hmm. all of us. So in uh, Australia as well.
Thank you. Um, so we've talked, it's a writer's festival, and we've talked a lot around the book and not necessarily dug into some of the aspects that we were planning to, but I hope that it's been of interest. I think it's important to mention the prize that Behrouz won and the winning of that prize was an affirmation of his great literary talent and amazing that he's been able to work in the way that he has within the structures that he's been talking about today. His work carries with it a long history of literary interactions. He's influenced by many different literatures around the world as well as, very importantly, music. If you read the book, you will find that. You will feel the music as it moves through. I want to say that your writing is very poetic in lots of ways, which is not to say that Beru's moves consciously from prose to poetry, but I would say that you cross those boundaries. You move quite fluidly between those, those borders of what we call genre in the West. And there's something very powerful about that that says a lot more than just um, genre writing. I don't know if there's time for questions. It seems like we're going to wind it up. Um, Arnold, do you want to say one last thing and then I think we're going to have some music? Uh, thank you, Behrouz, and thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, I just want to say that there is a campaign for Behrouz to come to Australia and for everyone on Manus and Nehru, those that are still trapped there, to come here. Uh, and you can find out more about that campaign uh, through the MEAA. I'd also like to say that um, from a writer's point of view, Beirut has taught me a lot uh, about the, the craft. And I'd also like to say that when Beirut speaks about the violence in our own culture, there's an interesting um, proverb the camel doesn't see its own hump. And I think this sort of sums that up. We don't see our own history of violence. We always see uh, the violence in others. And it's another way in which we denigrate and dehumanise others. And the great achievement of this book is that it breaks through that and it actually rips the cover off that and... Uh, it's all there to see, and it's going to be a lasting document. It's a miracle that this sort of bearing witness has emerged from that horror, and it's going to be there for generations to come, and the men and the men and women and children of Nehru are not going to be forgotten. They've been honoured. So I'd like to thank Behrouz for that extraordinary achievement, and let's give him a hand. Thanks to Baruch Bachani, Fitzroy Legal Service, The Ewing Trust, Arnold Zabel, Megan Fitzgerald, Janet Galbraith and Sophie Lestrange. The Fitzroy Writers Festival will be back next year. But until then, remember we run regular programs at all branches of Yarra Libraries. For you, we'd recommend Abdi Aden speaking at Fitzroy Reading Room on June 19th for this year's Refugee Week. If you're keen to read No Friend But The Mountains, out now from Pan Macmillan, please pop into your local branch of Yarra Libraries or place a reservation online. In the meantime, Yarra Libraries will be warding off the autumn chill by avoiding all Nordic crime until summer returns. Happy reading!